So now we are continuing this morning in our series in 2 Timothy, titled Guarding the Gospel. Second Timothy, we come to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 to 13. It can be found on page 995 in the Pew Bible. That is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 to 13. Hear now the eternal living word of God. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. The word of the Lord. And so, throughout the Bible, God has consistently reminded his people of his great acts on their behalf. And this is an essential part of spiritual growth and spiritual well-being. In the Old Testament, there was the Passover feast which was to remind God's people of his work of passing over the firstborn of the Israelite children in Egypt when he sent the plague. And the feast was really a reminder of God's overall work in delivering his people from bondage in Egypt. The feast was a reminder for God's people. And even when he gave the law, God had a component to remind his people. So after Moses received the Ten Commandments and he charged Israel to teach them diligently to their children, Moses said to the people in Deuteronomy 6, When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? And then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And so he's saying that the purpose of the law, at least in part, was to remind God's people of the great deliverance from Egypt. And it's not just God's work in the Exodus that he wants them to remember. In the book of Joshua, God led his people into the promised land by cutting off the Jordan River so that they could cross it. And then after this, he set up a reminder. He told the priests to gather stones and set up a monument as a memorial. And then he says the purpose of the memorial in Joshua 4, that this may be a sign among you. 
When your children ask in time to come, what do these, those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And so what we see is that God values reminders, remembering, because it's easy for us to forget him. It's easy for us to forget him in our hearts. When we studied the book of Judges, they would often mention that they forgot the Lord when they were worshiping idols. And it's not that they forgot him in their head, that they didn't remember that he existed all of a sudden. It's that they forgot him in their hearts. It means that they were living as if he didn't exist. And this happens to all of us. We all get so focused on ourselves, on the things that we're doing in our lives, that the truths about God can escape our hearts. We get so focused and overwhelmed on all our daily things that this can happen to us every day. And so God gives us reminders so that we won't forget him, so that we'll remember him in our heart. In our era, in the era of the church, we have the Lord's Supper. And when Jesus was instituting the Lord's Supper with his disciples, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so the Lord's Supper serves us in numerous ways. It's for our spiritual nourishment, our growth in grace. We have our union and communion with Christ confirmed. We testify and renew our thankfulness and engagement to God. But it also serves as a reminder of all the things of Jesus Christ. Everything he has done for us. All the blessings we gain from him. And so God, throughout the Bible, has given reminders to his people. He constantly wants us to remember him and to remember Christ. And so now, in 2 Timothy, throughout this series, Paul has been commanding Timothy and encouraging him for the struggle that is ahead. And Paul wrote this letter to Timothy from a dungeon, and he was imprisoned by the Roman army awaiting execution. And he's told Timothy that Timothy himself needs to be willing to suffer in order to guard the gospel. That Timothy is to continue to preach and teach the whole truth of the gospel and he's to raise up other men to teach it. That he's to pass it on to the next generation. And so Timothy needs to be ready for suffering because suffering will come. And so now in today's passage... Paul gives three reminders to encourage all of us in suffering for the gospel. First is to remember the gospel. Second is to remember the elect. And third, remember the faithfulness of God. And so this passage begins in verse 8 with a command for Timothy to remember. He says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Here Paul is essentially calling Timothy to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ as he suffers. And now it's interesting to note that Paul reverses his normal word order here. He writes Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ, about 12 times in this letter. 11 of them he writes Christ Jesus. But in this instance, he writes Jesus first, then Christ. And 
Paul mentions or writes Jesus first here because he wants Timothy to remember the humanity of Jesus. Jesus is the human name that he took on in his incarnation. And in his humanity, Jesus suffered. He suffered in his life. He suffered in his death. And so as Timothy suffers for the gospel, he can remember that Jesus himself suffered for us. And so our suffering for Jesus is in return. Jesus is the suffering Christ, the suffering Messiah. But he didn't just suffer and die, then stay dead. Timothy is also called to remember that Jesus is risen from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is complete. He is risen and he is still risen. And so Timothy can take the heart during his own suffering that not only the suffering of Jesus, but in Jesus' resurrection. Because the gospel is first and foremost good news. And in his infinite wisdom, God put Jesus through suffering to bring about his exaltation and his glory in his resurrection. And he's doing the same with us. He's doing the same with all of his people. And so that's our first reminder to encourage us in suffering for the gospel is to remember the gospel. And so that's not just to remember it as head knowledge. It's not just to remember the words of the gospel, but to remember the gospel in our hearts. So when we're struggling in life, when you're facing difficulties, we are not to just simply focus on this suffering and lose sight of God. Remember that Jesus Christ has and is risen from the dead. And that the resurrection of Jesus is proof that the whole gospel message is true. The resurrection of Jesus demonstrates the power of God. And the gospel message brings about spiritual resurrection in those whom God chooses. God's power is revealed in bringing you from spiritual death to spiritual life. But the resurrection of Jesus ultimately means power for physical, bodily resurrections as well. Remembering Jesus' resurrection means we live with this future in mind, knowing that our suffering is not in vain. We're to remember the good news that our hope is in a future, glorious, bodily resurrection for all those who believe in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus demonstrates a principle here that death is the gateway to life. Jesus sacrificed his life and rose from the dead, defeating death, so that you may die to yourself and have the eternal life that is only found in him. But remembering the gospel, Paul doesn't only want Timothy to remember the life, suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He also wants him to remember that Jesus is the Christ. And this is part of the gospel. So the word Christ is simply the Greek word for Messiah. And so when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus the Messiah. And this is part of the gospel we are to continuously remember. Is that Jesus is the long-promised Messiah, the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament. As Paul puts it, Jesus is the Christ, or the Messiah, the offspring of David. 
Jesus fills all the promises of God. But here Paul's focused specifically on the promises made to David. That David's descendant, or his offspring, would sit on the throne forever. Paul is telling Timothy, he's telling all of us, to remember that Jesus is the king from the line of David that will reign forever. So Jesus, as the Christ, has to suffer in order to enter into glory. And the same is true for all Christians. And Paul has been telling us that suffering will come. But you are to remember that this suffering is for the gospel. Remember the gospel in your heart. Remember Jesus who suffered in life and death, who is risen from the dead. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of David, who currently is seated in glory at the right hand of the Father and who will reign forever. Remembering Jesus as Messiah means we remember that he is the culmination of all of God's work in the salvation of his people, and that he is both your Savior and your King. And so the gospel is multifaceted. It's like a diamond, and when you look at it from different angles, you can see different aspects. And so when Paul here is calling us to remember the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and that he is the Messiah, and that he's king over all, this is shorthand for all of it, the whole gospel. Remembering the atoning death of Christ, the righteousness of Jesus that's imputed to you through faith, the forgiveness of your sins, the gracious gift of eternal life that none of us deserve. Remember all of it in your heart, that it all comes from Jesus. It's all a gift of God. And Paul says he's preached this in his gospel, the one and only true gospel of Jesus Christ. And that Timothy and the church as a whole have been guarded, or called and commanded to guard it. So Jesus, the Christ, who is risen from the dead and lives forever, he is the resurrected Lord and King, and he has authority in all of heaven and earth. And remembering this as we go through difficulties is comforting. It gives us strength. It gives us strength in our own suffering and our own difficulty in this broken world. So we are continuously to remember this truth and remember this gospel in our hearts to enable us to stand in guarding the gospel ourselves and facing the suffering that Christ told us would come. Because Jesus Christ, the Messiah, risen from the dead, is everything we need for salvation and for life. Paul reminds Timothy that this gospel that he, he's currently suffering in prison is that this gospel which he is suffering bound with chains as a criminal as he says and suffering suffering for the gospel is not simply a theory for paul he wrote this knowing that he would only leave the prison dungeon that he was in to be executed yet he knew this would not stop the gospel paul himself was in chains but the word of god is not bound the gospel will continue to grow and to reach new people. And the kingdom of God will not be stopped. No matter what happens to us, the word of God is unstoppable. We have no reason to fear suffering or death. We don't have to fear human governments or cultures stamping out the truth of the gospel. It's in God's hands. And he will see his plan through to the end. And so the call of every Christian, the call of you and I, is to continue to do our part to advance the gospel, even if that means suffering. 
Paul says in verse 10, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul is focused on the salvation of God's elect in his suffering. His goal is to continue to preach and teach the word of God that God may use it as a means to bring his people, his elect, to salvation. Paul says he endures everything for the sake of the elect. And not simply those that have been regenerated, but those that may also attain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Paul himself has security in his suffering and his imminent execution. He knows of his own salvation and that the eternal glory that awaits him with Christ. But he is willing to suffer that the gospel may continue forward. That God's elect, that is those chosen by God for salvation before the foundation of the world, may be regenerated, may be brought to a saving faith. Through hearing the word. And that's our second reminder to encourage us to suffer for the gospel. Remember the elect. The elect are the people of God that he has chosen for salvation. Now there are many people that object to this concept. But the Bible is very clear on this. God chooses whom he pleases for mercy, for salvation, for grace. And it's only those whom God chooses that receive his mercy and grace because none of us on our own would choose to follow him. We're wicked in our hearts. We're spiritually dead. And the example that some people use is Jesus calling Lazarus to spiritual life. Yes, Lazarus did walk with his own two legs over to Jesus But he was no more able to walk over to Jesus until Jesus brought him to life than we are to come to faith in God. We need him to bring us to life. Then we choose him. Then we will follow him. And this may not fully make sense to us, but it doesn't have to. God in his infinite wisdom doesn't do anyone injustice. Some receive grace and mercy. Some receive justice. No one receives injustice. No one gets a punishment that they don't deserve. And so when we think of the elect, often we think of those who already have a saving faith. Now obviously anyone who has a saving faith in Jesus Christ clearly has been chosen by God. But when Paul mentions the elect here, he's speaking of those who haven't yet obtained the salvation to be of their election yet. He's willing to suffer that God may continue to use his preaching and teaching of the gospel to bring the elect to salvation. God uses this means to bring that salvation in his people. They have to hear the word being preached. Then he changes them. So being willing to suffer for the gospel so that God may continue to reach the elect and that salvation may be theirs in Jesus Christ, that God's elect may believe and they may receive eternal life. And so there's always this tension. It's throughout the whole Bible between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. But the truth is, human responsibility is always there. Whenever God does something, he usually does so by requiring obedience from his people. And this even includes bringing his elect to salvation. 
This comes about through obedience, both first and foremost of the person receiving salvation. The gospel itself is a command. Repent and believe. Repent is turning from the life of sin and turning to a life of serving God. Making a U-turn from being on the path of destruction and turning around and heading on the path of life. And this requires obedience. And to believe, that is actually obedience, believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the point is, first in election, that we wouldn't choose this on our own. God has to change our hearts first and bring us to salvation. Then you'll believe. Then you'll turn to him. But also that it requires obedience. God is sovereign over this whole process, but there is obedience involved. But now for us, for anyone who already has a saving faith, there's an obedience to the Great Commission. We are called to go out and make disciples of all nations. So God uses the obedience of his people, preaching and teaching, proclaiming the gospel, evangelizing, to bring about salvation in his elect. And Paul knows this. This is why he's willing to suffer. Paul's suffering was all throughout his Christian ministry. It's not just in the end when he's writing 2 Timothy when he's in this prison. Paul, in 2 Corinthians, Paul gave a list of all the afflictions that he went through for the sake of the elect, and it's as long as the phone book. He said he, whipped, he was whipped by Jews on five different occasions. He was beaten with rods three times. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked three times. He was on long journeys on the sea day and night. He saw danger from rivers, from robbers, from his own people, from Gentiles. He had danger in the city, in the wilderness, at sea, danger from false brothers. He had many nights where he went sleepless, where he went without food or drink. He was often in extreme weather, in the cold, and he had this constant stress and daily pressure from all the churches that he had planted. And he's saying he endured all of this for the sake of the elect. He continued to push forward, guarding the gospel. And that's what he's calling Timothy to do. And that's what the whole church, every one of us, is called to do. Paul kept his eye not only on his own salvation, but on the other elect, that God will use him to bring about saving faith in these people. Paul is preaching and teaching so that the next generation of the elect will come to faith. And so we don't know who in our world is elect and who isn't. It could be our neighbors, our co-workers, our families, our friends. And it's not our job to actually save them. God will do that. It's our job to teach and preach and advance the gospel. And the Holy Spirit will bring them to a saving faith as he wills. It's our job to be obedient to God, to be willing to suffer for his gospel, and to guard the gospel as we've been called to. The preaching and the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ must continue so that the next generation may hear and that God will use our work to bring about salvation for whomever he chooses. So now Paul ends this passage in the last three verses, giving Timothy this seemingly well-known saying to encourage him. Starting in verse 11, he says, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, 
he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So Paul begins this part by saying the saying is trustworthy, alluding to this idea that these statements were well known to Christians during the first century. And there's four conditional statements Paul gives, followed by a conclusion. These conditional statements begin with if. First, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Paul says something very similar in Romans. Here he's encouraging Timothy that the death to self that every Christian must undergo is connected to the death of Christ. Christ relinquished himself of any power on this earth. He suffered and he died a physical death. And we must deny ourselves with him. We must also suffer with him. But being connected to the death of Christ through our spiritual union with him also means we're connected to him in his resurrection. That means we're living a resurrected life now. Anyone who's been brought to spiritual life is currently living a resurrected spiritual life. But we also have the unstoppable hope of our future resurrection, our future physical, bodily resurrection that awaits us. And so Paul often depicts the Christian life as a life of dying, a life of enduring. But it's only those who share in the death of Christ on earth that will share in his eternal life in heaven. The road to life is death. The road to glory is suffering. And so the second statement that he gives is, if we endure, we will also reign with him. And so Jesus spoke of this. He spoke to his disciples about reigning with him in heaven, and he taught in the parables that the good and faithful servant would have authority in heaven. And so our union with Christ means that in heaven we'll have a co-regency. God's people will reign with Christ. And Paul's saying here that it's only if we share in the suffering of Christ and endure that we will share in his reign as king forever. Those who fall away and never come back won't share in this prize. It's only those who endure to the end. And then he gives a similar statement. The third, if we deny him, he will also deny us. And this is a clear reference to Jesus' teaching in Matthew 10. Jesus said, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Paul's most likely referring to directly the people who have just abandoned him. Uh, By abandoning Paul, Paul's saying they're really denying Christ. They may have escaped suffering now but they weren't willing to die to themselves. They weren't willing to share in the suffering and death of Christ on earth. They wanted earthly comfort. And so essentially they've denied Christ. Now, if this is a permanent denial, then Christ will deny them. He's saying that this is for people who permanently deny Christ, those who both abandon their faith or those who never had it as well. Our only chance before the judgment seat of God is having Christ as our advocate. If he denies us, then we'll face the wrath of God we deserve. Paul is saying you can choose suffering now and glory later, or you can choose comfort now and judgment later. And so the stakes are high. The stakes are eternal, and that remains for us today. 
And so the fourth and last conditional statement in verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And this gives us our third reminder to encourage us in suffering for the gospel. Remember the faithfulness of God. When we speak of those who deny Jesus permanently, we're talking about those who in the end, were never regenerated. They were never born again. They were not God's elect. They never had a saving faith. But for those who do have a saving faith, those who are God's people, God's elect, who believe in Jesus Christ for their salvation, perfection is not expected. Think of Peter's denial of Jesus. There was a clear lapse into unfaithfulness. But it was a temporary denial, not a permanent one. God remains faithful to his people, to his elect. Even though Peter had a temporary denial, God restored Peter, and he established him as the rock upon which he built his whole church. So we may be faithless at times, but God is always faithful. You should be encouraged by the faithfulness of God because it's his faithfulness that sees you through until the end. You will suffer, you will falter, you will struggle, but you will be restored. You will finish the race, and you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You are to hold on to your faith. There is a responsibility. There is a perseverance and an enduring that Paul clearly wrote this whole letter about. But there's also the sovereign God who preserves us to the end. His promises for his people are guarantees. It's not like when we make a promise we may or may not be able to keep. When God promises something, it is guaranteed to be fulfilled, not because of our strength, but because of God seeing us through until the end. So God cannot deny his people because we are his. Denying his own would be denying himself. We are chosen, set apart by God, changed by God, and continually renewed and transformed by the faithful God until the end. And so while all of us will be faithless at times, will fail in our obedience to God at times, you're united to Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, and therefore he is always faithful. You know, Adam was faithless, sinned against God, broke the covenant that God made with him, bringing sin into the world and for the rest of his descendants. Jesus was faithfully obedient. Jesus lived the perfectly obedient life that Adam and every one of us fails to live. So we're all born in Adam. We're all born with this sinful nature that we could never live the obedient, faithful life that God's holiness requires of us. Every one of us continues the legacy of Adam, sinful, disobedient, faithless. But Jesus, the faithful one, Live the perfectly faithful, obedient, righteous life so that the faithless may have faith and life in him. We're saved by the grace of God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And it's his faithfulness that will see us through until the end. And so that is an encouragement to all of us. Something for every one of us to remember in our struggles, in our difficulties in life. That Jesus died for us because he is faithful. 
And so take all these reminders to heart as you continue doing your part for the gospel. First, remember the gospel itself. Jesus, the suffering Messiah, is risen from the dead and reigns right now at the right hand of the Father. Remember the elect, those that are chosen for salvation, and your duty to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to them so that they will obtain the salvation they've been chosen for. And remember the faithfulness of God. No matter how difficult life gets for you, no matter how weak you are, he will see you through, and you will be with him in all his glory for eternity. So let that comfort you as you remember that each day. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you to praise you, to glorify you, to remember you. Give us the strength of your grace to remember your gospel, all the aspects of it in our hearts. May we remember Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection as we go about our lives, that we may not live with fear, that we may not seek comfort over you, that we may do all you commanded us to do and do the work of your gospel to bring your elect to salvation. And may we persevere and endure in this life, remembering that your faithfulness and your grace will preserve us to the end. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.